We're going to take uh, a few minutes to, to pray together as a church. Uh, we're going to do it a little differently than we have in, in the past. Um, in a minute, I'm going to ask those of you that are comfortable to turn to a person beside you and just to pray together out loud. If you'd rather play, pray by yourself, it's fine to just bow your head and pray by yourself. But if you feel comfortable praying with the person next to you, uh, we're just going to have a little out loud prayer for a couple of minutes, and then I'll, I'll close this. And I want us to pray for a few things. Uh, one is the coronavirus. Um, uh, on, on one hand, we want to pray for just the alleviation of suffering. A lot of people suffering uh, around the globe, especially in China. And so we want to be praying for that. Uh, we also want to pray that the church and the gospel would advance in the midst of all that suffering. We're getting some uh, good reports out of China that the church in China is standing strong in the midst of a time when people are very, very afraid and that they are actually doing ministry in the name of Jesus uh, to many uh, to, the, to the point that some of the police who were once persecuting these Christians are now inviting those Christians to help them with the issues that, are, that people are facing in some of the cities in China. So be, be praying along that line. Amen. Praying along that line of both alleviation of suffering but also advancement uh, of the gospel through the church. Same thing, I want, want us to pray for uh, the United States. I know many of you are not from the United States, but if, if you would pray for uh, this country and the divisions that are, are, are there politically, racially, social, economic, and there's all kinds of things that uh, we're, we're struggling with in terms of division, uh, but the political scene this week was unusually uh, divided. So let's be praying along the lines of the alleviation of that, but also that the gospel in the, through the ministry of the church would, would be shown as true in the midst of uh, division. And then just praying for our church, praying for uh, the start of discipleship groups. 130 people are involved in discipleship groups here at Mercy House. Uh, you still could join if you wanted to. You can talk to that guy right there, Tom, Tommy, uh, who just was walking through. The, uh, he can help you. Um, but let's just let's, let's pray for those groups, the start of those groups, that God would work mightily through those groups. Okay? So, again, if you feel comfortable, turn to, to the person to, beside you and say, hey, can, can we pray together? Pray out loud for a couple of minutes, and then I'll close this. If you're not comfortable, just pray to yourself. All right? Let's pray. Don't chat, pray. Just pray. Don't chat.
Father, we are grateful that we can come to you and talk to you and ask you whatever we want to ask you because of what the Son has done on the cross to give us access to you. Thank you for the way that you have established this church that many brothers and sisters can come together in fellowship with one another and in prayer. And so we do, we lift up these prayers to you, Lord, and continue to over the course of the week for these things and many others. And we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, let's uh, continue in our series called Follow, which we're obviously talking about following Jesus. And if you haven't opened up to Luke chapter 4, um, go ahead and f- find that in the Bibles there on the floor or on your phone, or maybe you brought your Bible. But this uh, series is from the Gospel of Luke, the first 11 chapters, and the theme verse, Luke 9.23, He, Jesus, said to them all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And we've been saying that uh, the essence of what Jesus is saying there is that you're giving up, when you become a disciple of Jesus, you're giving up your self-determination, that, that Jesus, your king, is now determining what you're doing, what you're thinking, where you're going, and he is uh, the, the, the king over all things. And, and this, is, this is not easy. We've been saying this each week. This is not easy. Um, in fact, one of the ways you could think of it is it's, it's a fight. It's a fight to do this. It's a fight because there are enemies of our soul. And if, if you have, have done any study of, of Scripture, you would find that we have three basic enemies. Uh, sin, I'm going to call them sin, system, and Satan. Sin, system, and Satan. And so we have sin, um, indwelling sin. Even after we become a Christian, there's still this influence of, of, of sin, remaining sin, and it's sort of like a gravitational pull that's kind of pulling us away from God and away from His ways, and we have to fight that gravitational pull. There's also the system. So the system you might think of as kind of the corporate expression of all those individual sinners. And, and so not only do we see this individual thing going on, but we see this corporate thing. So you might think of it like, okay, so individuals uh, lust, but then when individuals who lust come together, they create uh, systems. So the sex industry is a system that wouldn't exist if it wasn't for individual sinners who were expressing that in a corporate way. And then Satan. We have a, an unseen enemy, uh, uh, Satan and his demons, and you might think of, of their role as giving uh, an accelerant to a fire. So sin's already there, the fire's already started, um, but the, the demonic is seeking to, to throw an accelerant on that fire, to expand it, to accelerate it. And so as Christians, we're, every morning when we wake up, we're fighting this unholy trinity, right? Sin and system and Satan. And, and so on one hand, we're, we're victims of sin, system, and Satan. Uh, on the other hand, we're perpetrators of sin and system. And this is partly why Jesus had to die. Uh, he had to die to forgive us from being perpetrators He had to die to give us healing from the victimization that we've experienced. 
And he had to die to give us the grace to fight against sin and system and Satan. And that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about the fight. How do you fight against sin and system and Satan? And again, this is one of the ways to think about discipleship. What does is, what is discipleship entail? And so in Luke 4, we see Jesus in the fight. And so we, we, we're going to learn a lot, I think, about how to fight. So Luke 4, just heard this read, uh, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, make a note on that, returned from the Jordan and, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. So, temptation one. So let's think about this. We're gonna, in, in each of these temptations, we'll think about uh, human vulnerability. We'll, we'll talk about satanic tactics. And then we'll talk about how to fight. Okay, so in each, each one of these kind of go through this same structure. So human vulnerability. So humans are weak. I don't know if you noticed that. We're weak. In Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about this acronym HALT, which I, I use a lot because I think it's really helpful, where they, it, the HALT, it, it uh, represents hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And if you're any of those things or a combination of those things, as an alcoholic, you're uh, extra susceptible to relapse. And so they talk about that. Be aware, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. It opens you up to, to falling, right? And so not only that, but we're sinners. We have that remaining sin, that indwelling sin. And so if, if you're already weak as a human and then you're a sinner as a human, it's, it's kind of like double trouble, right? And you, you see this kind of thing represented in Scripture, uh, Ephesians 4.26, uh, be angry and do not sin, right? So that is saying it's not a sin to be angry, but it is something that happens in, in the life of a human. Everybody gets angry. And when we're angry, we're vulnerable to sin, right? So you see the human weakness, and then you see uh, the gravitational pull towards sin. And it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, meaning you should deal with it. Deal with the anger. Deal with the, uh, the, the forgiveness, the reconciliation, whatever's needed to happen so that the anger's dealt with because if you don't deal with the anger, that weakness will be leaving you open to sin. So human vulnerability, right? Uh, satanic tactics. So satanic tactics, one thing you need to remember, they're limited. They're limited, Right? Satan is not uh, all-powerful. He is not all-present. He's not God. It's not like a dualism where it's like God versus Satan and maybe Satan will win or maybe God will win. It's not like that at all. Right? He is not all-powerful. He is not all-present. He is actually creation of God. And we, we, we hear Jesus talk this way a lot. Um, but one of those places, Luke 22, verse 31, Simon, Simon, he's talking to Peter, Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. 
And so, so Jesus revealing to Peter, okay, Satan's real. Satan can have influence on you, but I'm going to appeal to a higher authority, my father. And because he has authority over Satan, I know that he can, he can handle this. You will get through this. You will turn back and be strengthened and strengthen your brothers. So because he's limited, he has to be very strategic in terms of his attacks. So he exploits places of vulnerability, right? That's one of the ways. So again, back to Ephesians 4.26, be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. So you see what he's doing there. He's, he's saying, okay, you're a human, you, you get angry, that opens you up to sin, Oh, Satan sees that, and he sees it as, as an opportunity to exploit a weakness of sin and uh, being a frail human. He also has to be strategic about who he attacks. He can't be everywhere all the time, doesn't have all power, and so he's going to attack those who either are making a difference for the kingdom or they have the potential to make a difference for the kingdom of God. You hear this in, in the prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples, John 17, 15. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus knows these disciples are going to have a target on their back in terms of the demonic. That, that the, 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 the difference they're going to they're make as the, his apostles is going to be so significant that they are going to be on the top of the list for demonic Attack. Sometimes that means attacking those who are close to those who are making a difference for the kingdom or have the potential to. I find that true about in my own life, being a pastor. It's not always a, a, a direct attack on me, but sometimes it's an attack on my wife, it's on uh, my children, and it's, it, it's affecting uh, me at times. And I, I, sometimes I realize that. When our kids were small, uh, sometimes they would go through bouts of night terrors or strange anxiety that just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, oftentimes it was Saturday night or Sunday morning, you know, like, huh, interesting, right? And then praying, praying with our kids, praying over our kids, and then that stuff dissipating. You're like, uh-huh, okay, seems like something, something's going on here, right? And so it, he, he has to be strategic in the way that he attacks his only weapon really is the lie. Uh, it's all he's got. He's never had a creative thought in his mind. It's always taking truth and twisting it. And so he really has uh, nothing to work with except the lie. And so you hear Jesus talk about this, John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil. So he's talking to some, uh, some people. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It seems like Jesus is communicating he's a liar, right? He's the father of lies. He's a liar. Like, he has no truth in him, like over and over and over. He's saying, look, Satan's a liar. Like, this, is, this is what he does. Um, you even see it in this first temptation. He's, he you know, he kind of saddles up next to Jesus and he's like, if you are the son of God. And, and this is his favorite lie, to, to, to try to undermine the truth about someone's identity. And this is, this is going to be his favorite attack against you as a, as a Christian. 
is he's trying to undermine your identity or undermine your understanding of who God is, which he's kind of doing both right there when he says, if you are the son of God. Now, so that's vulnerability, satanic tactics. How do you fight? How do you fight? Well, we can see how Jesus fights here. Uh, One, Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about each of these here in a minute. Uh, Jesus is praying, and at times that prayer is coupled with fasting. And then number three, Jesus knows his Bible, and he knows how to apply it in the moment. These, These are the three ways that he fights. Full of the Spirit, he's prayerful, which is sometimes coupled with fasting, and he knows his Bible and how to apply it in the moment. So let's talk about this. Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Um, he's attentive to the Holy Spirit and obedient to the Holy Spirit's prompting. Right? Attentive to, so aware what the Spirit is doing, and then once the Spirit initiates something, obeys that. You notice that the, the Spirit is leading him out into the desert. Like that might not be something you want to obey. Right? He's attentive to the Spirit. Holy Spirit's saying, go out in the desert. Like, uh-uh, I'm not going out in the desert. No, he's like, okay, I'm going out in the desert. What's on the menu? Fasting, right? Like, like he's, he's obedient to the Spirit. You think of it like sailing. So let's say you're in a sailboat, and you first are aware that there's wind, right? If there's no wind, sailboat's not going to get moving. But you're aware of the wind. But that's not enough to get the sailboat moving. You then have to move the sail such that you can catch the wind and you can actually get moving. This, this is a way to think about being full of the Spirit. You're attentive to the work of the Spirit around you and you are obedient to the Spirit when the Spirit is initiating with you. And first and foremost, if you want to see the Spirit work in your life and work through you, you want to seek attention, draw attention to the gospel to Jesus. This is, this, is, this is what the Spirit is wanting to do. Uh, you see Jesus talk about the ministry of the Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 13, 14. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And then check this next verse out. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus is revealing here. Here's what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do. Draw attention to Jesus. And so if you, if you want to be full of the Spirit, you want to be attentive to it, you want to be obedient to him, and you want to draw attention to Jesus, to the gospel. Now how, how do you do this? How do you do this attentiveness and obedience? Uh, well, you need to be prayerful. And you need to know your Bible. This is what we see Jesus doing here, right? So he's prayerful, and at times he's fasting. Uh, there's so many examples in Luke of Jesus praying. I think this is really extraordinary. I, lo- I love this about the Gospel of Luke. Here's some examples. Luke 3.21, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is baptized. What's he doing? He's praying. He's praying. Uh, Luke 5, 16, but he would withdraw, he, Jesus, to desolate places and pray. Luke 6, 12, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Luke 9, 18, now it happened that 
he was praying alone. The disciples were with him and they asked him, who do the crowd say that I am? Luke 11, 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Interesting, it took the disciples till chapter 11 to finally say, could you help us out with this prayer thing? Because you seem to be really into it. You know, like, it really, really seems important to you. Now, how, how is praying like fighting sin system and, and Satan? And I think one of the ways to think about it is uh, when, you, when you're praying, you're like emptying yourself of the influence of sin and system and, and satanic influence. Um, and then you're being filled with the work of the Spirit. Just think about it. You, you, I'm, I'm sure you've done this. I do this where let's say I, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with some anger or some anxiety or some loneliness or, or like a combination of all those. And I'm just trying to push through. I'm just trying to stuff it down. I'm just, I'm just, I can do this. I'm just going to grip my teeth. I'm just going to keep moving forward. I'll forget about this. I'll, it'll dissipate. And instead it gets worse. And then eventually I'm like, I should pray. And I get still before the Lord and I lament over those things that I'm angry and anxious about, the loneliness that I feel. And, and then God's Spirit starts to just minister to me and starts to replace those feelings with feelings of hope, feelings of encouragement, feelings of power. Right? This is the fight. So if, you, if, you, if you've had those experiences and you think, what's wrong with me? I'm such an immature Christian. Why, I shouldn't have anger and anxiety and, and loneliness. This is, this is the fight. This is the world we live in. We are not home yet. And, and so a, as you deal with these things, it, you, you've got to go at it day in and day out. Attentive to and obedient to the Spirit and prayerful. You see Jesus training the disciples to think this way. Luke 22, in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, and, and Jesus is praying, like he's getting himself prepared to, try to, to, to go and face the cross the next day. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples. He found them sleeping for sorrow, and he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise, pray, that you may not enter into temptation. So Jesus, he's trying to teach them, here's how you fight. You're hungry, angry, lonely, tired. You're sinners. You're not going to be able to resist temptation if you don't pray. It's part of how you resist these enemies of the soul. Now also notice that, that Jesus is fasting. Um, and what you don't want to think of when you think of fasting is that somehow fasting is earning something from God. We're like, okay. I'm really hungry. I've been hungry for a day or two. And now, God, you have to give me what I want. If you think of fasting that way, please, just get that out of your mind. That is not how fasting works, right? That fasting is a way to detach yourself from the world and attach yourself to God. And we've got to admit, one of the things we're most attached to in this world is food. It's food. And so when we detach ourselves from food, it's a way for us to say, I, I want you, God, more than I want anything else. And so it's a detachment from the world and an attachment to God. So, full of spirit, prayerful, know your Bible. Know your Bible. Um, Jesus knows God's Word, and He can apply it in the moment. Uh, he's vulnerable. 
right? He's hungry. He's lonely. He's probably tired. And so Satan sees that doorway for temptation, and he takes his best shot. And Jesus' way of handling this attack, he says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. We read this, uh, Moses saying, uh, about God, that, that God humbled you, He let your, your hung, you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I'm pretty sure Jesus was also thinking about that second part of the verse. Man lives by the very word of God. That's that detachment from the world, attachment to the things of God. So why the word? Why, why not go to his feelings? Right? Temptation to change stones into bread. Check in with my feelings. How am I feeling? Hungry. Feelings say, change stone into bread. Right? Maybe, maybe check with some people's opinion. Maybe a little Twitter poll or something, right? Hey, guys, I'm out in the desert, 40 days, uh, on my Insta story here, and uh, I'm really hungry, and I'm the Son of God, and I have the power to change stones into bread. What should I do? Pretty sure the world would say, go ahead and change stones into bread, right? But he's not doing that. His locus of authority is the Word of God. He, He goes to the Word. And so his understanding is that the Father would not want him to do this, right? That he, he's going to obey the Father. He's going to obey the Word of God. And so he, that's where he goes to figure out what to do in this temptation. Now, this is us in our situations as well, when we're being tempted, right? The temptation to waste a whole lot of time binging on entertainment, go to our feelings. Hey, how are you feeling about binging on entertainment tonight? I feel good about it, right? Or I go to the world. Hey, world, what do you think about binging on entertainment tonight and medicating my pain and escaping real life? What do you think about that? I think it's great, right? Go to the Word of God. That's different, right? We we, want to go to the Word. We want to go to the Word. What does the Word say about how we should steward our time, how, how we should spend the time that God has given us. Uh, let's say we're tempted to watch porn or have sex outside of marriage. We go to our feelings. Hey, feelings, how do you feel about watching porn? How do you feel about having sex outside of marriage? I'll feel great about it. Right? Go to the world. Hey, world, what do you think about watching porn, having sex outside of marriage? Well, we feel great about it. Right? But we don't, we don't go there. We go to the Word. We go to the, what does the Word say? Uh, we, we could apply this to uh, dishonesty in our job or in, in, in school or at home. Say, so how do I feel about being dishonest in this way that I know I won't get caught? How do I feel about that? I feel pretty good about it. Right? Hey, world, what do you think? What do you think about this dishonesty? I mean, it really didn't hurt anybody. No one will know. What do you think, world? Who cares? Do it. That's not where we go. We go to to the Word. We go to the Word, and we fight that temptation with the Word. 
Notice that the fight is mostly in our minds. That's where the battle is. It's in here. And then out of that comes the right attitudes, actions, words. Uh, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 10.5, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. I love this. It's like every thought that's coming in, whether it's from, from sin system or Satan, and thought comes in, and you're looking at thought, and you're like, okay, thought, how do you line up with the Word of God? Oh, you don't line up with the Word of God. I reject you. Oh, you do line up with the Word of God. I'm going to keep you, right? This is the battle. This is the battle. This is the ongoing battle in our minds. So let's look at the other two attacks against Jesus. Verse 5 of Luke 4. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So let's think about this again. Vulnerability, satanic tactic, and how to fight. Vulnerability, uh, we're so vulnerable to our desires to take the easy road. We want to take the easy road. We want, this is an opportunity for Jesus to, to forego all that messy suffering and death on the cross. He, I mean, he's not going to have authority, all authority over heaven and earth, but he'll have a lot of authority on earth, and he doesn't have to go through all that pain. Right? That's, that's part of this temptation. And oftentimes, God's way is the long way. It's the patient way. It's, it's, it requires some pain. Right? Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow me. And so that, that's, oftentimes it just, it just is not what the, the indwelling sin in us is wanting. We want the shortcut. And so Jesus is, you know, if he goes three for three in this duel with Satan, he's going to walk out of the desert and he's just, he's just going to be perceived as a, a peasant preacher. He's going to have to get up and, and do healing and teaching and the next morning healing and teaching and deal with these crazy religious leaders that drive him nuts and he's going to have to do that and then go to the cross and die. And, and so that this shortcut is offered to him and, and it is a a temptation. So the same for us, right? Like, so Satan offers shortcuts. He offers shortcuts to get rich quick or uh, shortcuts to sexual fulfillment or shortcuts to, to get a promotion at work or shortcuts to get a 4-0 or shortcuts to get friends fast, shortcuts to get a significant other, shortcuts to getting what we might perceive as the perfect body. It's also an offer of control, like we desire power over our lives and the things in our lives and the power over the people in our lives. We crave that all things would be in good working order. And by that, we mean according to our desires. We want that so badly. And so Satan kind of works with this whole shortcut idea and this uh, desire for control. And worst of all, what's really happening underneath all this is turning our hearts from the worship of the one true God. And, and Satan understands that about temptation. Um, he's, he, he, he is up appealing to this when he's in Genesis 3 talking to Eve and is saying, did God really say? Right? He, he, he's 
getting up underneath her worship of the one true God. So what's Jesus' response to this temptation? He's full of spirit. He's prayerful, which is sometimes coupled with fasting. He knows his Bible, and he can apply it in the moment. Same thing, right? Same, same thing. He's doing the same stuff. Um, and this is not just three steps to a disciplined life. Um, this is centered on God, the glory of God. And so while the earlier temptation was, um, I'm going to follow God's word, here we see in God's word this idea of the worship of the one true God. Jesus answered in verse 8, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So it's not just about breaking rules it's about a relationship with the one true God. And Jesus understands that. This, this breaking of, of God's truth is not just some rule. And so this is true about our temptations as well. So it's not just about breaking some rule. Think about those situations again. A temptation to waste a lot of time binging on entertainment. What, what's, at, what's at the root of the temptation? Is that God is not sufficient. That he's not sufficient to comfort me. He's not sufficient to encourage me. I need to go to something else that is not in accordance to his will. Or watching porn and having sex outside of marriage. What, what are we saying? We're saying, God, you do not satisfy me. You, you are not joy. You are not my treasure. I've got to go outside of what your word says and try to go get that satisfaction somewhere else. Right? It's not just a rule. It's a breaking from the relationship with the one true God. Or, or dishonesty at my job or at school or at home. It's not just, oh, the, the Bible says I shouldn't lie. It, it's, it's I, I don't believe you're good enough, God. I don't believe that you can meet my needs inside your design for how life should be lived with honesty and integrity. I've got to go outside of that. I've got to go get satisfied somewhere else. I've got to get joy somewhere else. I've got to get provision somewhere else. And so it's not just a rule. It's, it's, it's about the relationship that we have with the one true God. It's a worship problem. The third and final temptation, verse 9, uh, Satan took Jesus to Jerusalem, set him up on the pinnacle of the temple. He said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So vulnerability, satanic tac tactics, and how you fight. So vulnerability, um, I mean, part of our vulnerability is we want to be looked upon favorably by others. And we want that in a shortcut kind of way, Right? And so we're willing to, to take shortcuts to have people think we're cool or we're smart or whatever it is that is impressing the people that we think uh, are valuable. Uh, again, power over people. So this is a shortcut way for Jesus to get some power over people. He doesn't have to get up the next morning and teach and heal and teach and heal and deal with uh, crazy religious leaders. He, he, he just he floats down like Superman and everybody's like, whoa, we want to follow you. And so this, this is a, a shortcut kind of uh, temptation. Now, satanic attacks, uh, tactics here. He's questioning Jesus' identity again. So he's going to that again. 
again, the shortcut thing, offering this shortcut. Um, but here's what's new. The devil uses the Bible. The devil uses the Bible. The devil knows the Bible. Did you know that? He quotes Psalm 91 at Jesus. And I, I feel like this is so scary. And the New Testament is full of warnings against false teachers in the church. And so Satan is totally willing to take the Bible and twist it for his own uh, purposes. And so he, he knows that he can exploit people who look favorably on the Bible by using the Bible in ways that are wrong. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of that. Just because someone is holding a Bible, right, and saying this is what the Bible says, does not mean that that is the truth. And so we as Christians, we have to be discerning what is truly the message of the Bible, what is true. And so again, th- th- this, is, this is one of the tactics that is in here that should be pretty, pretty sobering. Uh, Jesus' response, right? He's full of the Spirit. He's prayerful. He knows his Bible. He knows how to apply it. And so his answer to Satan is, uh, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus uses Scripture to interpret Scripture. He has sound doctrine. Like he understands the truths of, of, of the entire Bible such that if someone takes a verse out of context, he can bring sound doctrine to bear on that text and say, no, you're misapplying that particular verse, which all false teachers are doing that. They're taking verses out of context and they're, 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 they're using them in a way that is not consistent with sound doctrine. So you, you've got to know your Bible. You've got to know sound doctrine to be able to discern when that is happening. Uh, I think it's one of Satan's most deceitful schemes. Uh, Apostle Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 11, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan doesn't play by any rules. He has not signed off on the Geneva Convention for warfare. He will do anything. Now again, he's limited. So there's a real balance here. You need to be sobered up, but you also you don't need to be afraid. He does not have all power. He's not all present. And, and we've been given everything we need to fight. But we need to fight. Some of you need this little, little sobering up. You, you don't take the regular intake of the Bible and the study of the Bible that seriously. And you're like, well, that's a big deal. I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. You're in a fight. You're fighting against sin and system and Satan. Whether you realize it or not, you need to get in the battle. <laughs> you need to get in the battle. And you see Jesus modeling for us how to do that. Uh, sometimes Satan uses sheep that are vulnerable. And sometimes he sends wolves into the church. All right? So sometimes it's, it's a genuine Christian who doesn't know their stuff who is susceptible to false teaching. And they end up hurting the church. So when you're, you're not reading Scripture, not growing in, in prayer, you're not just hurting yourself, you're hurting the church. Does that make sense? 
So if, if, if you are more vulnerable than you need to be because you're not prayerful, you're not growing in the knowledge of Scripture, you could not just hurt yourself but hurt the church. And then other times, it's wolves, people that actually know what they're doing. They know that they're trying to propagate something that is against what's being taught as the gospel. And so that's a whole different thing. But how do we deal with it? We deal with it being full of spirit, being prayerful, knowing our Bible, and how to apply it in the moment. Now, you may be feeling a whole bunch of weight right now, right? Like, I'm not doing enough, or I've given in to temptation so many times. And so what you need to also hear is that Jesus is showing you that he is absolutely perfect, not, not just to be a model for you, but also so that he can then go die on the cross for all of us who are not 100% perfect. We've all given in to sin and the system and Satan. And Jesus has died in our place such that we could be forgiven for that. And died so that we could be healed from the ways that we've been victimized by sin and system and Satan. This is how good the good news is. The grace, the salvation that Christ provides at the cross. You may have never received that by faith. And I, I would encourage you to do so this morning. You may be hearing me and, and you're like, Yes, my family's been ravaged in this battle. I've been ravaged in this battle. I've been near destruction. And you're hearing now that there's good news that Jesus has, he's won the war. And so you can come to him to be forgiven, to be made new, to be given the tools that you need to fight this fight. If you are a Christian, it's it's a reminder of the amazing grace that God's given us at the cross. For sinners such as us, that we've, we've given in to sin. We've given in many times to the system. We've given in to the influence of satanic attack. And we're forgiven. We're forgiven. And we're also empowered to fight. So you who you are forgiven, fight. Fight. Fight against sin and the system and Satan. And do so by God's grace, not as a way to try to earn his love. He, he, he loves you. That's by grace. But in response to the salvation that we've been given, let's get in the fight. So some things to think about as, as you enter into the fight. What are your vulnerabilities? We all have different vulnerabilities. But I think this is a good, this is a good exercise to think about. Okay, are my vulnerabilities right now my, just my kind of sinful bodily desires? Is, is this where I'm at? Am I, am I tempted to give in to eating too much or sleeping too much or binging on entertainment or sexual experiences outside of God's design? Like, is that where my vulnerabilities lie right now? Or perhaps your vulnerabilities are more emotional health, right? So you, you may have unresolved anger or bitterness. And you're just kind of, it's just kind of festering. Well, that's a vulnerability to the enemy, And so confessing that, reaching out to a trusted friend, just talking that out, praying, asking someone else to pray for you. It's to be part of how you fight. It may be fear and anxiety about the future. I'm telling you that the enemy will camp out on that. Will camp out on that. Will throw accelerant on that. And it'll it'll cause you to, to not live by faith because of all the fear, all 
the anxiety. Uh, it may be a desire for shortcuts. Maybe a desire to control people. Uh, it may be the desire that people think well of you. All these are vulnerabilities. Right? We all have them. We all have a kind of a different set that are kind of our things that we have to look out for. Uh, are you f- susceptible to false teaching because you don't know your Bible? Do something about it. Start studying, start reading, start being a part of discipleship groups and opportunities that you have before you. And at the, at the root of all of it is, do I, do I feel more satisfied with things that are temptations than I do with the one true God? And repenting from that, confessing that to God. Lord, I, I'm more satisfied with all these things than I am with you. And you're the, the, the greatest treasure I could ever behold. You're the treasure in the field. I, I, I should be wanting to sell everything to have the, the treasure in the field. Lord, I confess that's just not where my heart's at. Let, let him come and minister to you through the word and the power of the spirit. Be aware of your vulnerabilities. Um, one, one of my kind of vulnerabilities is I want life to be easy. And when it's not, I get angry and frustrated. Right? And it's like this combo thing. And, and, and then it leads to ongoing bitterness. And if, and if I'm not on top of that, if I'm not praying and asking the Lord to deal with that in me, it just festers. And it leaves all kinds of, of opportunities for the enemy to just camp out and throw accelerant on it. I know that about myself. And so you, you've got to, to know what, what are your vulnerabilities and be aware of those and be bringing those before the Lord, asking Him for grace to overcome those things. I know, again, some of you are thinking, oh, I thought it was just me. I, I, I thought I was just a really bad Christian, right? And mature Christians are those who know how vulnerable they are and they keep going to God for grace to overcome the vulnerabilities. And so know your vulnerabilities. Um, you also, you need to... Prayerfully discern, okay, is, is Satan pouring accelerant on this? Because sometimes it's just our sin and the system. And sometimes there, there is a supernatural component to it. I think in the Western world, mostly Satan tries to stay under the radar. And so we, we have to be prayerfully discerning um, whether or not he is a part of it. Uh, once you realize he's there, then he tries to intimidate you. And then he just tries to dogpile you, okay? If you don't know what a dogpile is, you can talk to me later. Um, But we know from Scripture, if we resist, he will flee. If we resist, being full of the Spirit, word, prayer, right? That's how you resist. And we see it even in Luke 4. It says, when the devil ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So he's like, I'm out of here. And then... He comes back later, and that's the same for us, right? He, he departs, we resist, he departs, and then there's times when he comes back. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a promise. That's a promise. Doesn't mean it'll happen in a heartbeat, but, but it's a promise that if you resist him in the power of his spirit, prayerfully in Scripture, uh, he will depart. And so, Again, what I want you to, to, to remember is that Jesus has won the war. And by the grace of that, we now fight these battles. We're reminded of that every time we come to this table. We're reminded of our hero who won the war 
And he wants us to, to remember how he won the war. Right? And he, he, he was with his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed. Right? Like, like Satan was going at Jesus with both barrels. Like it says that Jesus, or Satan entered Judas. Like he's, he's going all out. And what's Jesus doing in the face of all that? He takes bread, breaks it, gives it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He knows what it's going to take to win the war. It's going to take his death on the cross. In the same way, he takes the cup after he's blessed, he gives it to them saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. He's letting them know. That, that he is taking care of sin. This, this fight that they're going to find themselves in, it's not to earn forgiveness. They fight because they are forgiven. And so we are reminded of that, that the cross that was meant to kill gives us victory. Jesus has won the war. And there will be a day that comes that there is no fight against sin, system, and Satan. And that day is going to be so glorious. But that is not where we are now. And so we need to be reminded of Christ's victory in the war and let that be an encouragement to us to remain faithful day in, day out in the battle. Let's pray. Lord, we, we celebrate this victory and we know that it is absolute. Like, like you have won the victory over sin, won the victory over the world, over the demonic, and we're kind of in this in-between time now where we're still having to fight these little battles. But Lord, even in the midst of fighting these battles, Lord, it, it is a means that you bring glory to yourself and good to people. You, you, you use this fight to bring people to the, to the gospel. You use this fight to grow us as your sons and daughters. And so we're grateful, God, that there's so much hope in the midst of this ongoing battle. And so I pray, Lord, as we take this bread and cup, that we, there would be just a wave of encouragement that would go through the hearts and lives of those here in this room. And some have, have, have been fighting tooth and nail against sin, tooth and nail against system, against uh, satanic attack. Lord, would you encourage them? Would you give them strength? And Lord, maybe draw strength from each other, that we don't fight this battle alone, but we fight it alongside other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so build us up as we both commune with you and with each other in this time of taking the bread and the cup. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.